You're listening to Gospel-Centered Rest, a podcast by Grace Bible Church in Cambridge, Ontario, dealing with topics of life and theology, and how Christ's promise of rest for the weary and heavy-laden gives us strength for today and hope for tomorrow. Welcome to Gospel-Centered Rest, where we seek to encourage one another with the truth of the gospel and discuss how the gospel impacts every area of our life. Over the next several weeks, we're going to be taking a little bit of a break from our regular podcast format, and we're going to listen to a series on calming anger. Pastor David Robinson preached this series at Grace Bible Church during the summer of 2019. And in today's episode, part one of two parts in Matthew chapter 5, Pastor David talks about how Jesus instructs us concerning anger and the hope that he brings through the gospel in helping us with this area of our life. So let's listen now to Pastor David Robinson on Matthew chapter 5, Calming Anger. Matthew chapter 5 is, uh, the ser- or included is, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And we are beginning a new series this morning on anger, uh, calming anger. And we want to do that over the next uh, number of weeks. Part of it is because it is, a, uh, it is such a comprehensive subject. It is a complex uh, subject. So we want to hit a number of the, the different areas where Scripture talks about anger and not only how to deal with anger, but what does a constructive conversation look like? What does a, go- a gospel conversation look like? Uh, what about forgiveness? Uh, what happens if certain things have been done to you, said about you? Um, how do you, what happens if somebody is unrepentant of certain actions? Do we forgive them or how do we forgive them? Uh, so we want to um, tackle a number of those issues, but I also just want to say at the beginning, this is obviously complex, so maybe even certain things that we say today are going to be incomplete. Uh, this is not all that we could say about it, so you might have uh, certain questions that come out of this, or you might say, I don't know if that's right for my circumstance, and, uh, but that your, your particular circumstance might be dealt with in another message. So uh, this, is, this is really just an introductory sermon, and we begin to ask ourselves this morning, well, how do you even begin to talk about the issue of anger? Uh, where do you even begin to have that conversation? And I thought a good place for us to start would be uh, Matthew 5. So we want to read the first number of verses of Matthew 5, then have a word of prayer, and then we'll uh, look at uh, how we can pray through Matthew 5 uh, when we are dealing with anger or with bitterness. So Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, when he saw the crowds, he went up to the mountains And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. 
You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For, for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So let's bow in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for the reminder this weekend of the great country that we live in. We give you thanks for the blessings, for the beauty. We give you thanks for uh, a testimony of Jesus Christ going throughout this land for a number of generations. We give you thanks that your gospel is worldwide. We give you thanks, as we have sung, that you are a great, great God. And we pray for an outpouring of your spirit upon our land. We pray that you would convict many of their sin, and that you would reveal to them the Lord Jesus Christ and his beauty and his blessings, his forgiveness and his lordship. And there would be many who are saved, many who would claim the name of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and who would live passionate lives for him. We pray for the church around Canada, throughout Canada. We pray that we may humble ourselves. We pray that we might be quick to confess. And we pray that we might not be inward, but we might have also an outward focus because our eyes are lifted to you. We pray that we would take notice of the needs around us and that you would so orchestrate our lives that there would be time to reach out to live and share the gospel with those around us. And we also want to pray for the various levels of government. We pray that you would guide and lead them. We pray that you would uh, give them wisdom. We pray that you would give them the fear of the Lord, that this position has been handed to them at this time because you have given it to them. And Father, we pray that in the fear of the Lord and that they would rule wisely and that we would be able to seek or we would be able to live at peace with all those uh, whom we come in contact with because you would keep the peace of this country. And so we pray that for the furtherance of your kingdom. And we also pray now for our hearts. I pray for my heart as we begin this series on anger. Lord, this is comprehensive. Every single one of us struggles with this in some form. And so we want to pray on this journey of calming anger, that your spirit would begin to do that work. And where there is anger, you would help us to walk towards quietness and peace in relationship with you as we receive your mercy. So open our eyes and open our hearts. We pray for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, as we have said, when we begin a series like this, one of the difficult things is just even knowing where to begin. And one of the areas when we talk about anger, and if you were to maybe, we, if we were to have a conversation or if you would talk to others, it's almost like we can so quickly lose hope. We can ask ourselves, will I ever get over this? Uh, will I ever stop being angry? Um, will, will I ever be able to live in these circumstances 
with a quietness and with a calm. And so when we tackle something like this, it's not just the complexity of what anger looks like, but it's also just overwhelming. And sometimes we don't even know where to begin in this conversation. David Pallison in his book, and I think it's a really healthy book, uh, Good and Angry, David Pallison, Good and Angry, he has a chapter entitled, All of You Does Anger. All of You Does Anger. And, you know, I I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but in this chapter what he does is he speaks about uh, how our anger is something that we do. We, We do something, and all of us is involved in that doing of something. Uh, Anger invades almost every part of who we are. So he says, your body operates in an agitated mode. Uh, Your face might get red. Uh, You have fire in your eyes. Your mouth tightens. Uh, Words fly. Uh, And so he says, your body operates in an agitated mode. He says, your emotions operate in hot displeasure mode. Your mind operates in a judicial mode. Your mind operates in a judicial mode. I found this interesting. He basically takes the, the, the courtroom, and he says, you become all characters in that courtroom. So you are the innocent victim. You are the offended lawyer. You provide eyewitness testimony. You are the stern judge. You are the jury. You declare guilty, and you pronounce the sentence. Our mind operates in a judicial manner. Not only does it affect our body, our emotions, our mind, it affects our actions. Our actions operate in a military mode. He says it's about winning and losing. It's about attacking and defending. And then finally, he says, it's not just our body, emotions, mind, and actions, but it also operates in terms of our motives. Our motives operate in a God-like way or in a God-like mode. So he says about this, in other words, these uh, speak of our desires and motives, and uh, the core of our existence, uh, we, we, ask her, we, we become this God-like uh, person who sees all things, who becomes all-powerful, who becomes all-knowing, and then we act in that sort of way um, from our desires. And then you ask yourself, well, why does our anger go astray? Why does it look... Uh, why does it take more than just a technique to calm down? You may have become angry and you just can't get it out of your mind and you say, well, I thought if I just quieted my heart or if I just quieted my mind and did this, then everything would be calm. But why do techniques not work to calm us down? Why is anger so explosive? Why is bitterness so cold? And why is frustration so terminal? So we begin to see that when we look at how our... our um, Our existence operates when we're angry, that all of us does anger. Um, Our entire body, our mind, our actions, our motives, they're all surrounded by this anger. This subject can become overwhelming. And we ask ourselves, well, where do we even begin on a subject like this? And that's where I think if we are able to walk through uh, the Beatitudes, and what we really begin to see is it begins, and it sounds overly simple, but uh, we begin with prayer. And, and, you know, when you're angry, sometimes prayer is the last place you want to start. It really is, because you're bringing this uh, before the Lord. Before we look at the Beatitudes, I just want to uh, give you an illustration, or if we could say a case study, of a couple named Trisha and Ryan. 
they are dating and they, are, they often argue when they cross wires about plans for the evening. So this is just a relatively simple moment in their life. He says, uh, again, this is from David Pollison's book, Good and Angry. He says, it just happened again. Ryan showed up late for a dinner date and they started to bicker. A video of the argument captures, so if you were to video this, this is what you would have seen, captures the time, the place, who said what when, their supposed plans, and what extenuating circumstances played into whose favor. It also captures the pouts, the shocked expressions, the frowns, the eyes rolling, the edge in the voice, the rising or lowering decibel level that registers hostility. As the argument escalates, the words turn from current events into personal accusations. On Trisha's side, you always do this. You're impossible. You're so selfish and inattentive. You never listen. And, like any war, offense encounters defense. Once Ryan heard her opening salvo, he rebuts, I don't always do this. Just this morning I suggested the sushi bar, but when you mentioned Italian, I said that sounded great. I'm here now. What's the big deal? So I'm 10 minutes late. And then, partly because he is actually closer to 20 minutes late, he launches into a counteroffensive. You never cut me any slack. You are so judgmental and controlling. And he goes on to say this. He says, so far, so bad. It's a typical dating couple argument. Now, scratch the motives. What do these two aggrieved people really want? Is the argument only about the difference between 7 o'clock and 7.18? Is it only about whether or not his reasons for not getting in touch are valid? Is it only about whether one of them is listening? Is it only about body language, hot feelings, hard thinking, and then the insulting and defensive words they are saying to each other? Even if we add the element of history, always, never, referring back to something specific, we still haven't gotten to the root of it. Underneath, you find motives, or what we call heart, you find other stories that were not mentioned out loud. People rarely share these things when under attack and attacking back. The combatants are often not even aware of their motives. The noise of hostility and the hurt drown out conscious awareness. On Trisha's side, I want you to love me. If you cared for me, You'd be on time, or let me know, or at least say you're sorry. Instead, you're obsessed with proving you're right and I'm wrong. Your lateness and defensiveness mean you don't love me and you don't care about how I feel. On Ryan's side, your anger means you don't love me. I want you to treat me with common courtesy. I fear your rage. If you respected me, You'd care to find out what really happened and what I was thinking, and that I was thinking about you and felt bad that I was late. You'd believe me and not just get angry because you feel put out. You couldn't care less about me as a person. 
what was supposed to be a beautiful evening of Italian food. And how can Italian food take you to a wrong place? Right, Tony? Beautiful. It's to be a be- oh, yeah, Frank. It's, it's to be a beautiful moment. And then it just turns into this eruptive anger. And you look back on that and you say, well, what happened? Where do you even begin? So let's, let's begin to work through this. And so first of all, what I want to do is I want to give you the big picture. Um, what we're going to do, we're going to look at three areas, and they all come back to the gospel. Okay, our connection is the gospel. So first, our first point is going to be our personal heart or gospel provisions. A personal, what provisions does God, in other words, the first place we're going to look at is the greatness of God. The second thing that we're going to look at is a personal heart confession or a gospel confession. That, those are the first four beatitudes. And then the last four beatitudes are a personal heart transformation. So an overall picture, what provisions do we have? And then a confession, who are we before God? And then a transformation, a gospel transformation. I call the, the last four Beatitudes are the Bahamas of anger. Now, the only reason I chose Bahamas is it started with a B. You could say the Beatitudes are the Brazil of, the, of anger. And what I mean by that is if you could go to the Bahamas or if you could go to Brazil, you'd probably want to keep on going back to the Bahamas. You'd want to keep on visiting the Bahamas again. The Beatitudes are the Bahamas because we have to keep on going back to the Beatitudes so that we can check our hearts before God and we can gauge our relationship with others. It's a place that we need to visit often. We need to begin with confession. Actually, we need to begin with hope, but we also need to begin with confession. Because what often happens when you talk to people about anger is they want to talk about the problem. This is where Matthew 5 starts us off. Matthew 5, as we apply it to anger, does not start with the problem, but he starts with the person. If you are battling with anger, if you are battling with with bitterness, the place to start is not to talk about your problem or your anger, but to talk about the person, the gospel. How does Jesus' story collide with our story? And what healing does Jesus bring to our story? So where do we begin? We, be, we begin with hope, knowing the gospel provisions or heart, personal heart provisions. And then we begin with confession in our relationship before God. And then that leads us to gospel transformation. It is all gospel packaged together in Matthew chapter 5. So let's take a look, first of all, at gospel provisions or personal heart provisions. As we've been saying, uh, anger can seem overwhelming. So where do we begin? We begin with our relationship with God through Jesus, and then these characteristics begin to be exhibited in our lives and in our relationship. Now, you say, well, if we're reading through um, Matthew chapter 5 and the Beatitudes, where do we find that in the text? There are some amazing words and phrases that are used in Matthew chapter 5. The first is, so Jesus is sitting down and he's teaching, and the first word that comes out of his mouth is blessed. 
Now, we might get so used to hearing that, but the first thing that Jesus says to this crowd is he invites them into a blessed relationship with Jesus, with himself, with God. So, when we begin to ask ourselves, well, what about my anger and what about my bitterness? What are some of the present benefits that we have in Christ? What are some of the present benefits that we have in Christ? To be in a relationship with Jesus is to be in a place of blessing. You are blessed. To be blessed means the goodness of God overflows into your life. To be blessed is to experience his goodness. It is to experience his joy and his happiness. And we know when God blesses, it is an overflowing blessing. I, I think of just a thimble. You put, I mean, I don't know if I know what a thimble is because I took a sewing class in like grade seven. So I know what it, so a thimble, you can't, if you, just so, I don't know why I'm explaining this because I only have a limited amount of time this morning, but I'm going to go for it. It's so you don't stick the needle into your finger. Now, I'd like to think that when I was taking my sewing class, I threw the thimble away and I didn't need a thimble because I could take a, you know, and, and, and I made a frog, just putting it out there. It was a good frog. We put together beanbag frog. Those, that was the highlight of my grade school experience. Um, so you take a thimble, you put it over your finger. Now you put that thimble underneath, let's say, at the edge of the ocean in waves, just keep on coming over that thimble. Or you put it at the bottom of Niagara Falls. Like, it's just going to be, it's going to be overwhelmed. That's what Jesus is speaking about. Now, when we begin to think about our anger and when we think about the blessing that we live in under and in the relationship of God who is in all, through all, and above all, then how does that change our perspective of anger? How do we then begin to deal with bitterness? So he begins with, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, there's eight Beatitudes. Uh, verses 11 and 12 explain the eighth Beatitude. The first and the eighth Beatitude end with, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For, theirs is the, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So the first powerful word that we read is blessed. The second powerful word that we read is theirs. When you come to Jesus, you have the blessing. What is the blessing that you have? Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is. You have this. It is a blessing from God. The blessing from God is the kingdom of heaven. In Scripture, when you talk about the kingdom of heaven, there is a now and not yet. You are in the kingdom of God now. You are experiencing the blessings of God now. But there is a not yet aspect to the kingdom of God because one day you will experience the kingdom of God in its fullness, in its completeness. So today we still have tears, we still have grief, we still have anger, we still have bitterness. But one day in the fullness of the kingdom, we will not have anger, we will not have tears, we will not have uh, bitterness, and we will not have death. So when Jesus says, here's the blessing, a thimble under Niagara Falls, he, 
the, the beginning and the end of the Beatitudes. Yours is. It is part of your existence. You live in the kingdom of God now. That changes everything. The kingdom of God can never be removed from you. When you come in repentance and faith to Jesus in the kingdom of God, you are in his kingdom. And to be in his kingdom is to be under his sovereign reign, under his sovereign rule, with not only a desire but the strength given to you by Jesus to live differently for him in the kingdom. You are a different person. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. So we've said this is the beginning. You are blessed. You have this overwhelming blessing. Am I going to withhold blessing from others? You have this overwhelming quietness. You have this overwhelming peace because of the great kingdom that is given to you. You have all the resources of the kingdom before you. You can live in all the blessings that God has given to you, present, future, and for eternity. 